Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. Today we're going to continue looking at the subject of speaking in tongues. And, uh, and for those of you who are here for the first time, surprise! <laughs> You're wondering what kind of church this is? Yeah, we're that kind of church. We're going to be talking a little bit about that. More specifically, though, since it is, and really, honestly, I wasn't writing this, uh, th- preparing this sermon with Pentecost Sunday in mind at all. Just the way it, it shook out. But we are looking specifically at the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. We started this sort of series talking about faith and then specifically words of faith and the power of the tongue and how speaking in tongues plays into that where we began to dovetail those two things a couple weeks ago. And then last week, we took a pretty good look, pretty thorough look, I think, at 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 and the urgency with which the Apostle Paul wrote about the topic of speaking in tongues. And the gift, actually, the thing I think the most valuable part of last week was our focus on the difference between the gift of a public utterance in tongues and the gift, small g, I guess, the ability, the, uh, the facility of speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, a prayer language. And where we landed on that, I would encourage you to get last week's message. Got a ton of positive feedback from that, even though I don't think we broke any new ground. It was a, I think it was a, a refreshing reminder for a lot of people. Uh, it, but where we land on that, and I think it's the easiest conclusion to come to reading those three chapters, again, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, is that, yes, the gift of tongues, of public utterance, is for today, always needs to be accompanied by interpretation, but that every, and, but, and not everybody can do that. That is, as the Spirit wills, as the Spirit distributes these gifts, you might speak in tongues someday, and somebody else may interpret. But every believer, every spiritual believer, can and should pray in tongues. But that's, not a, that's different from the public utterance. Not going to re-preach last week's sermon. Again, if you've got questions about that, go listen to it. Working backwards, I want to look today at the day of Pentecost, when the disciples first spoke in tongues, and then subsequently some early manifestations of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I also want to answer sort of some frequently asked questions about tongues. And finally, we will look at at least one practical application. We'll start by looking at Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. Acts 1, 4. And being assembled together with them, he, this is Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, the first thing I want you to understand, because it is crucial, is this. These were believers. These disciples were already saved. They were born again. There is very little disagreement. I don't know if there's any disagreement among that, uh, on that among evangelicals. Most people believe that when, when were the disciples saved? If they weren't saved on the day of Pentecost, then when were they saved? And most people agree that this was in John chapter 20, when Jesus breathed on them 
in John 20, you can read along, open your Bible, or just listen as I read this, beginning in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. We are not going to break this passage down, especially that last part. Uh, not this morning anyway. There's too much other stuff we want to talk about. I'm just pointing uh, that this is the moment that is widely accepted as the moment the disciples received salvation. Now, for those of us who are charismatic, uh, who believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a subsequent event, Probably the most confusing part there is not that Jesus breathed on them and they were saved, but that he, that he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Because if they received the Holy Spirit then, then what was Pentecost about? All right? This is what we're going to talk about a little bit. Uh, well, it's kind of like this. Last week, as I mentioned earlier, just a few minutes ago, we talked about the difference between speaking in tongues as a public utterance and praying in tongues. When Paul said, uh, not everybody, uh, or suggests at the end of chapter 12, not everybody speaks in tongues, do they? And then turns around chapter 14 and says, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. That sounds contradictory until you read everything in between when you realize in the first place he's talking about the gift of public utterance and in the second place, even though he uses the term speaking in tongues, he's clearly talking about praying in tongues because he had said that. I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding. Same thing. This is a matter of terminology. The Holy Spirit is certainly the one who effects salvation in us. It's the finished work of Christ that makes that salvation available to us, but it is the Holy Spirit who administers that salvation to us. To accept Christ, and let's not forget, our God is Trinitarian. To accept Christ is to accept the Father and to accept to receive the Holy Spirit. So really, I think it's only the terminology that messes, messes us up when we talk about being baptized by the Spirit or baptized in the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit or receiving the Spirit. Don't get hung up on the terminology. Let's just look at the Word and what happened. Here, Jesus breathed on them and they received salvation by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Then later, when we read just what we just read in Acts chapter 1, uh, you know, when Jesus says, now this is interesting, because in John, where we just read, he said, receive you the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them. And then in Acts chapter 1, he says what? Wait here. He'd given them the great commission, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every living creature. And then he says, but wait, here in Jerusalem, don't go. I know I told you you'd go all these other places. I told you to go into all the world, but don't do it yet. Wait here until you receive the promise of the Father. Because what's he, what's he say is going to happen then? Then you're going to receive power. To do what? To be my witnesses. To do the things I just commanded you to do. To fulfill the Great Commission. Then we come to Acts chapter 2. After, this is after the, so we have Acts chapter 1 where he says, Wait here till you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See ya. Pew, off he goes. And then 10 days later in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven 
uh, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each in our own language, in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Now, again, this is 10 days after the ascension. And Jesus had told them to remain until they received the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't see it, but perhaps there were questions like this. You want us to wait. You've told us we're going to go into the world. And you say, but before you do, wait here until you receive the promise of the Father. Maybe, just maybe, I, have, I don't have a bit of a hard time believing this. They said, how will we know? How will we know when we've received it? And Jesus might simply have said something like this. Oh, believe me, you'll know. Because what happened when it happened? It wasn't just kind of a, a 120 people sitting around saying, are you getting some? You, you kind of feel that? Anybody sensing that? I, th I, th I think it's happened. Do you think it's happened? Well, yeah, maybe. I Nobody had to talk anybody into anything. What happened? There suddenly, suddenly came the sound as of a rushing, mighty wind. Do you know what the sound, a sudden sound of a rushing, rushing mighty wind sounds like? In my, when I read that, I always think of an explosion. The sound guys don't like when I do it, so I won't. But what I would do if I could is put my hands over this microphone and then just blow really hard. It'll sound like an explosion. We used to do that. I think I've told you that story before. I used to play with the microphone in the Methodist church. I'd sneak up there, and, and we'd put our mouths on it, and we'd make little missile sounds. We used to do it at the store on the intercom. Uh, I think when it talks about when they, when they heard the sound, when the other people in town heard the sound, I think that's the sound it's talking about. I could be wrong, and it doesn't matter, but I think they went to investigate the explosion sound and that's when they encounter the disciples speaking in tongues. So anyway, uh, so he says, you'll, I, I think you know, you'll wait. Uh, clearly they knew when this happened. Okay, this is it. This is, we don't have to wait for something else. We have now been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they go outside. And they heard them speaking. And it says they began to speak in other tongues. And everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now I have heard it suggested many times over the years that Pentecost was actually a miracle of hearing rather than speaking. Now, I've also heard it suggested this, that when we're truly speaking in tongues, we are sp there's really only one heavenly tongue. I remember a caller to a radio program, and I, it, this, it was just a, this was a civilian calling in to speak to the ex experts, and she says, it was a sound like a sweet little old lady who said, Somebody asked if there was some way to have proof of God's existence. I can offer you proof. If you will be baptized in the name of Jesus, you'll receive the Holy Spirit, and you will begin to speak in the mother tongue of the new Jerusalem. And she was excited, and she meant that. But that's not what Scripture says. It says you'll speak in tongues. 
there are obviously, there's more than one tongue, all right? So if your prayer language sounds different from mine, we're both right, okay? No, tongues doesn't sound like this. Tongue sounds like this, all right? That's not how it works. It also, uh, there's, there's the suggestion, and we'll get into this here in just a little bit, about tongues of angels. Because, but what these guys heard, now these were, they were in town for the celebration of Pentecost. That's why you had all these Jews, uh, natural-born Jews and Jewish converts had come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, and they recognized these languages. But the Bible says this, it says both these things that they began to speak in other tongues, and these guys heard them in their own language. Now, it could be a miracle of tongues and a miracle of hearing, but clearly, the, the, the most clear reading of Scripture is, these tongues included human languages. That the, Some of the languages that the disciples were, were uttering in tongues, the disciples didn't understand it. To them, it was a foreign language but it was understood by some of these visitors from these other nations. Uh, it has also been suggested, uh, suggested that, well, tongues was real, but it's not anymore. The reason it was uh, given in the first place was for the rapid spread of the gospel. This way, those early disciples who experienced tongues could go into regions where they didn't speak the language and rather than spend years learning the language, they would just go in and preach the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. But there is no scriptural evidence of that, that anybody ever went anywhere and preached in tongues. Here it says, what did these guys hear? We hear them declaring the wonderful works of God. I believe this was essentially a, uh, a praise and worship service, impromptu. You know, if you read, read Psalm 103, read the first verses of Psalm 103, and all you're doing is declaring the wonderful works of God. You are speaking his praises because of what he has done, and I believe this is what they heard in tongues, but nobody was preaching until Peter stood up and then gave his sermon in the vernacular, probably Greek or Hebrew. Now, when they were speaking in tongues, now, let me look at this. Since we're looking at the issue of language, we might as well tackle this one here. I mentioned angelic tongues, but I really do want to make the case that it is human tongues or at least includes human tongues, human languages. If Pentecost is what we are looking at anyway, which we just read, they spoke in tongues, they heard, in, they heard these languages. But Paul actually did mention tongues of angels in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, beginning in verse 1. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, just a quick couple questions. Did Paul understand some things that you and I don't? I think he did. <laughs> did, however, uh, did Paul understand all mysteries and all knowledge? Is Paul making that claim here? No. What's he saying, even if I did? It's, 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 it's great to have understanding and knowledge. It's great when God reveals mysteries. But even if I understood it all, it really wouldn't mean anything 
if my motive in sharing these things wasn't love. Remember the context. We covered this thoroughly last week, but remember, the reason the love chapter is there in between the chapter about gifts, chapter 12, and the chapter more specifically about tongues, chapter 14, is Paul saying the only right way to gauge your spirituality is to see how you're using these gifts. Or if you're using the gifts to gauge your spirituality, you've got to look at your motive. Speaking in tongues, publicly or otherwise, doesn't indicate that you are spiritually mature. If you are prophesying, speaking in tongues, doing anything, it needs to be motivated by your concern for the people you're ministering to, not your spiritual reputation. That's what he was talking about. So, when he mentions, like, give my body to be burned, which he didn't do. I believe he would have, but he didn't. Uh, did he give all of his possessions away? No. He, hey, bring my coat, bring my scrolls. He didn't give those away. Uh, and though he uh, had great wisdom and knowledge and revelation, he didn't have all knowledge and revelation. So when he says, though I speak with tongues of men and angels, I think it's quite possible that he's speaking with a little bit of hyperbole there. He's not saying he does speak with tongues of angels. He's saying, you talk about speaking in tongues, even if I spoke in tongues of angels. That doesn't make me spiritual. It's love. It's my love walk. Now, I don't want to make too big a deal about that because angels obviously speak and they probably have their own language and it's quite possible. There's nothing anti-scriptural about the concept of God, of the Holy Spirit manifesting tongues and, and the tongue that he gives you happens to be an angelic tongue. I don't think it matters. The reason we're talking about this is because one, uh, another frequently asked question is this. Can the devil understand it when I pray in tongues? This is a widely taught idea that one of the greatest things about praying in tongues is that it is essentially a code the devil can't break. It's a secret language between you and God. And I reject this on at least two grounds. Number one, we start with tongues of men. Does the devil speak Spanish? Does the devil speak Russian? Does he speak Chinese? Listen, when languages were scattered, when? Thousands of years ago at the Tower of Babel, right? And even if you could explain to me, well, demons are not all-knowing. They didn't understand these languages when God scattered them. Guess what? They've had thousands of years to learn those languages. There was a man named Robert Dick Wilson. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He was a legend. Uh, perhaps the greatest defender of the reliability of scriptures on, just on the grounds of linguistics. He mastered 45 languages in 15 years of study. This is what he, he said himself... At, at, uh, at a certain age, he calculated how long he, he thought he would have left to live based on the ages of his father, his grandfather, and some others. And he said, so I've got uh, 45 years left. And he, and he made his plan. For 15 years, I'm going to learn languages. And then for 15 years, I'm going to read everything I can in those languages that related to Scripture. And then for 15 years, I'm going to write everything I learned reading. And he did. He learned 45 languages in 15 years and then did study in those languages and then read and taught for 15 years and then died. That's one guy in 45 years. You, uh, so I, I promise you, <laughs> if there were languages the devil didn't know at the Tower of Babel, he has learned them by now. Is that a fair enough case? Yeah. So here's the second reason I reject that. 
uh, well, it's still along linguistic lines. The devil and demons are fallen angels, so they probably remember the angelic language too. More importantly, though, is this. We talked about this last week. One of the most valuable things about praying in tongues is what? It's that we don't always understand it. We don't immediately, and sometimes we don't. We, 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 I have prayed, and I'm going to share a couple stories a little bit in just a few minutes, where I've not known what I've prayed. Uh, the phrase I use, and I didn't invent it, I heard it from Hagen or somebody else, is, is that tongues allows us, praying in tongues allows us to bypass the bottleneck of the intellect. I, I find myself thinking, and if I think too much, I might get confused, I might enter into doubt, but if I'm praying from my spirit, it's the Holy Spirit praying through me, praying perfectly. All right? If our words are important, if faith is important, we do have to be careful not to accidentally inject words of doubt into our prayers. You know, dear God, I'm really sick and I feel like I'm dying is not a prayer. It's not a, it's not a prayer of faith. You might acknowledge to God, God, I'm really hurting. God, I really do feel like I'm dying, but your word says I'm healed. What I'm praying for is a manifestation of that healing in my life, and I'm claiming it, I'm speaking it over myself because you've promised, you've, you've laid my sicknesses and my infirmities on Jesus, you've nailed my sicknesses to the cross with my sins. That's a prayer of faith. But just saying I'm sick, and, and, uh, and we can find ourselves in the moment if we're really experiencing symptoms, and not just sickness, any other manifestation of lack or, or, or sin or anything else, if we just talk about everything that's wrong, we're not really giving faith preeminence in our prayers. But if it's the Spirit praying through us, and our words are important, we can trust that our prayers are perfect, that they are absolutely faith-filled. We pray according to His revealed will, and we leave it at that, and when we pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit is forming our prayers, giving us words that He knows, we don't, but we are still praying them, and praying them perfectly. In other words, I don't think Praying in, in tongues drives the devil nuts because he does, doesn't understand. I think praying in tongues drives the devil nuts because he does understand. He hears these perfectly formed, faith-filled prayers coming out of our mouths, and he cannot stir up doubt in the middle of our prayers because doubt starts in the mind, and we are praying from our spirit. You hear this? I believe the devil can understand us, and that's exactly why he hates for us to pray in tongues. Because we are praying perfect, faith-filled prayers directly from our spirit, and that he can't, it's not a secret code, but it's a closed circuit. He can't inject thoughts of doubt in there because we're not praying with the understanding. All right, that's an important point. Glad we have, have uh, got that part out of the way, but now back to the book of Acts. Let's look at a couple of other passages, well-known to most of you, I'm sure. In chapter 10, Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, who is a Gentile and a Roman centurion. Um, he, and, and by the way, I, not that it matters, but I fancy the notion that uh, Cornelius is the centurion that Jesus, whose servant Jesus healed, but maybe not, the one we talked about the last couple weeks. Anyway, uh, Peter goes uh, to his house and he preaches the gospel to, to his, not just to Cornelius, but to his household. And in verse 44, we read this. This is Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 44. 
While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. What happened? They knew that Cornelius and his household had received the Holy Spirit, had been filled with the Spirit. How did they know? Because they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. And it happened, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? These are believers, these are disciples. They said to him, We have not so much heard as whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into, them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on, Je on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. This is presented in both these cases as evidence of the infilling or baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's other stuff. Like in Acts 8, when Simon the sorcerer saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying out of hands. Well, what did he see? He saw something. There was some outward evidence, likely tongues. But here's my point. It is abundantly clear in Scripture that the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues. And I absolutely believe it can still serve that purpose. But here is the difference. And I have studied this. I have thought about it. I have prayed about this for years. You and I have something that the disciples and the early church did not have. We have the written account of the day of Pentecost. We have the written account of the early church. We have scriptural evidence that when the Holy Spirit fills us with power, we can expect to speak in tongues. Listen to me, if you haven't been listening, or if you tuned out for a second. This is important. And it's important because it's about faith. And faith is what God is looking for, right? Jesus told the disciples to do what? To tarry, to wait in Jerusalem until they received the promise of the Father. And this is where we get, uh, this is the origin of some of these old-time Pentecostal tarrying meetings. Have you heard about these? where they would have somebody, they would preach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they would encourage people to come up and receive it, but they would wail and wait and moan and pray for hours, indeed sometimes days, because they believed they were tarrying, waiting for God to drop it on, drop him on them. The Holy Spirit is a he, person. Is this what we're supposed to do, tarry? until we receive the Father, until something happens like it happened to the disciples in the upper room? Let me answer that with another question. What is the outworking or evidence of salvation in your life? Remember Philippians where it says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. We covered this. The Greek word there is katergatsamai. It's something that's already in you, working to the outside it doesn't say achieve your salvation doesn't say earn your salvation doesn't say work for your salvation it says the salvation that's in you work it out what is the evidence well we we see it all around us the evidence is the fruit of the spirit it's it's being it's being uh, ministers of the gospel it's being salt and light it's speaking in love it's the taming of our tongue it's the restoration of our relationship there are all sorts of evidences of salvation 
But what was the evidence in the moment you got saved? In other words, what happened to you the moment you got saved that proved to you or anybody else that you got saved? Now, some of you have some miraculous testimonies about that. Maybe you had a vision. Maybe you experienced something tangible. But most of you, and certainly speaking for myself, the only evidence I had that I was saved when I got saved was the Bible told me I was. That if I confessed Jesus, the Lord Jesus with my mouth and believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I'd be saved. Once I believed that, I was saved. What is the scriptural model for receiving healing? You ought to know that after the last couple weeks. All the miracles Jesus did and the one that Jesus said, hey, look at this, this is what I'm looking for, was the one that simply received him at his word, the centurion. Don't come to my house, just say he's healed and he'll be healed. In other words, how do you know you're healed? How do you know you're saved? By what the word says. Now again, it's wonderful when there is an immediate manifestation of healing when somebody prays or speaks it over you. It's happened to me. It's happened to many of you. But I don't need it to happen right now to you or to me to know that healing is mine and yours. Correct? I don't. If I pray with you and, you, and I, I can hear you say the words, Jesus, be my Lord. Save me now. Come into my life. And then five minutes later, I hear you say a cuss word. I'm not going to say, well, guess that didn't take. Five minutes ago, I thought you were saved, but clearly you're not. Why? We know there's the renewing of the mind. There's the training in the things of the spirit that have to take place. So how do I know you're saved? Because you believed and you spoke it. So here's my question. How do you know you are filled with the spirit? You can't say because I speak with tongues. Let me read this to you. This is Luke chapter 11, verse, beginning in verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, <laughs> will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, can you think of any reason or find any scriptural support for the notion that God would ever say no to a born-again believer who is asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Is it God's will for all of his children to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes, Pastor Scott, it is absolutely God's will that all of his children be filled with the Spirit. Therefore, if I'm asking God to fill me with the Spirit, Holy Spirit, baptize me in your power. Fill me. Empower me to be your witness. I am absolutely 100% asking in accordance with God's will. 1 John 5. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, again. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. How do I know if I have received the Holy Spirit 
because I asked. Because I'm a believer, and I know it's God's will, and I asked. That's how I know I'm filled. So for me, it works this way. I don't know that I'm filled with the Spirit because I speak in tongues. I speak in tongues because I know I'm filled with the Spirit. Does that make sense to you? I'm not saying it never works the other way. I'm sure there are people right in here who the first time you received the Holy Spirit, maybe your hands were laid on you and you just immediately bubbled out with tongues. I will give you my testimony. Many of you have heard it. Uh, You've heard my salvation testimony. I'm talking about when I was filled with the Spirit. We were all down in uh, Broken Arrow. Mom and Dad were attending Rhema. In fact, Dad was just attending Rhema at this time. This was, he was a first-year student. And we were going to a good youth group, and I had, between Rhema seminars and between church and youth group, I had heard the message of being baptized in the Holy Spirit many times. And I desired it. Why I had never answered an altar call for it, I don't know. But the more I heard, especially... The more I heard, especially about praying in tongues, the more I desired to be baptized in the Spirit. Now, I'm the guy who, all these years, from the time even before we went to Ramah, when we would attend these full gospel businessmen's fellowship meetings, and when I first, this is when I first began to see the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. And one of the things I often saw, that we often saw, were people falling down under the power. The the tangible presence of God was so powerful that people would fall. Or, and sometimes, uh, then and, and certainly later, there were manifestations of, of uh, what, what could only be described as drunkenness in the Spirit and uh, uncontrollable laughter, all sorts of manifestations, again, of the tangible presence of God. And I've seen these things, I've witnessed them, I believe in them. I don't discount them at all, but I've never personally experienced that. I've been in a, in a hundred healing lines or lines just for, for whatever, to have words, but we're, we're, we're a minister, Sometimes greatly, widely known men of God. Man, I have a great deal of respect for. uh, And I've never fallen out under the power. Sometimes I've been the last man standing. Never made me doubt the power of God or the presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, why didn't you get it? Well, I could never find a scripture. Listen, if it happens, it happens. I can't find a scripture that says I can believe God for that. Now, if the scripture says... If you're laid hands on when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will fall down. I'll fall by faith if I read that. And somebody even suggested that to me. Hey, just start falling, and he'll knock you out on the way down. I don't need that, all right? I'd love to experience it. I may someday, but it doesn't matter. I'm going by what Scripture says. Now listen, I'm that guy. I'm that guy that never experienced the the woo-woo stuff, and yet I don't put tongues in that category because that's scripture that's a promise this is something we see teaching on example after example and i wanted it i it was i couldn't have explained it to you then the way i can explain it to you now but i saw that it was a valuable tool for growing in grace and i wanted to speak with tongues for some reason pride self-consciousness whatever it is i couldn't bring myself to answer the altar call at youth group or whatever but one night, uh, I think it was during, Cheryl, was it a Copeland meeting at, at Rama? Is that where you got it? It wasn't? Where was it? Never mind, we can talk later. Anyway, there was a meeting at Rama where the speaker, and I, well, I'm quite sure the meeting I was in when this happened, it was actually Brother Copeland, there was a guest speaker, 
and he had an altar call for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to go down, but for some reason I'm just, I chickened out. And so he has everybody down there and starts to pray, and then at the last minute says, if you didn't come down here and you still want to be filled with the Spirit, you just pray this from your seat. And I'm like, woohoo! So real quietly, everything he said, Heavenly Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that I, I've received that. Whatever it was, I just prayed it right there in my chair. And man, that night, I never, ever, ever, and this isn't, please, I believe my own teaching. This doesn't make me spiritual. I've struggled with many things, but tongues isn't one of the things I've struggled with. When I began praying in tongues, it just spilled out, out of me. There was never any of this. It was like a fully formed language when I began to pray in tongues. It wasn't a ba 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 da da. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've heard it. I think this is a, it's not a perfect illustration, but I think it's a useful illustration when people say, well, how do you start it? Just start making noise. Just like a baby. A baby, when it starts speaking, isn't start going to speaking, uh, it starts to speak fully formed sentences. So like Jeremy, my nephew, he kind of did. He didn't say anything for five years, and then he started. <laughs> but most of the time, we, we, the babies experiment with their words and language, right? And then it grows. They get more used to speaking, and they get better at it. I think there's a parallel. I think there's an analogy there with our prayer language. It's just something we get more comfortable with, and I think the Holy Spirit enjoys just bringing new words and new language out. But I think I was so primed for it. You know, I would be lying in bed at night reading my Bible and I would just almost start to pray in tongues and the only reason I didn't was I thought it was blasphemy because I'd never been prayed. I've never prayed to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But once I did it, it was like now I've got permission to pray in tongues and I just began to. So that part was easy for me. What is the outcome then? Because I know people even in here who have asked for and therefore I believe scripturally they have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet struggle with their prayer language, with praying in tongues. Number one piece of advice I will give you is this. Don't give up. That capacity, that faculty is in you, and it is valuable, and it is important. I think we've demonstrated that. I th I, don't give up. You continue faithfully expecting and even trying to, to pray in tongues. It will come out of you. Number two, don't sweat it. Continue to believe that it's going to get easier. Continue to believe that it's going to happen, that you will be an effective prayer in tongues. But don't sit there and think, why haven't I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet? Do you see the difference? There's no evidence that when the disciples went to pray for somebody for the baptism of the Holy Spirit that they said, now listen, we're going to lay our hands on you and then you start speaking in tongues because this is what happened. The reason we consider it evidence is these people apparently didn't know what was going to happen when they received the Holy Spirit. The evidence was to the disciples and that was especially important when they were praying for Gentiles like Cornelius' household. Wow, we know this is God because they're speaking in tongues just like we did. It's really not the same thing when we read about it and we go in expecting, there's nothing wrong with it. It's 100% right. We see what happens when we're filled with the Spirit. This means I'm going to be able to speak in tongues. But then when, that's a sort of a circular argument if we say, well, how do you know you're speaking in tongues? Because I'm filled with the Spirit. How do you know you're filled with the Spirit? Because I'm speaking in tongues. 
No, we start with Scripture, and we see what happened, what was the norm, what was the normative, what was the expectation, therefore. When I'm filled with the Spirit, I will speak in tongues. And then we read what Paul writes, and we, say, we should say, I desire to speak with tongues. This is something that's super important for the ministry and for my personal look, uh, growth. Now, let me move on here. I said don't sweat it. It will happen. Meanwhile, remember what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. What did he say? Tarry here in Jerusalem until you receive tongues. No. Until you receive the promise of the Father. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will receive tongues. No. You will receive power to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. The most powerful and earth-shaking thing that happened on the day of Pentecost was not the disciples speaking in tongues. It was when Peter stood up and preached Christ and three thousand people got saved and baptized no matter how good you are that doesn't happen without the power of the holy spirit as you read through the book of acts you see all kinds of evidence of the holy spirit all kinds of manifestations not just tongues you know we were uh you've probably heard this i mean this is something i heard at Rhema. they really that book shouldn't be called the acts of the apostles it should be called the acts of the holy spirit through the apostles, through the early church. Signs, wonders, healings, miracles. And yes, tongues was certainly the initial evidence, but in one sense, we can't experience it as raw evidence for reasons we just talked about. Now, um, I will say this. The changes in my life, this is kind of just hammering in this point, and I'm wrapping this up, getting close to wrapping it up. The changes in my life has served as evidence of my salvation. Okay, I can look over the last decades of my life and see how Christ has changed me. But again, that's not how I know I'm saved. There is an expectation, or should be, in the life of everybody who comes to Christ that I am going to become more like him. There will be evidence of that salvation in my life. But I didn't need the evidence the day I got saved. I just needed the assurance. Manifestations of healing serve as evidence, but that's not how I know I'm healed. How do I know I'm healed? By what the Word of God says. Now, quickly, we move to a practical application, and I'm going to start this with another example from my own life. My first uh, position in occupational ministry, as many of you know, was a director of a men's home down in southern Alabama called Canaan Land Ministries, working for Brother Matt Gober. And this was a, house, a home for men with life-controlling problems. This was a resident program, 24-7. wasn't a lockdown facility, but about half the guys there at any given time were there as an alternative to jail or prison. And we ran a Bible school in the morning. They worked in the afternoon. And we had services and stuff at night, study time at night. But these guys had issues, obviously. There were 20 students in the program, and while I was there, most of the time, only three counselors. And it was a burden because we were in charge of of so many things and one of the things I was in charge of was admissions but this was a year-long program these guys couldn't had very few freedoms they had their lives had to be pretty much rock bottom before they would ever agree to come to a place like that but most of the guys who came stayed and every guy that came there got saved there was no question that was going to happen but they had they were constantly coming to you with problems so they got a, they got bad news from home they were struggling with this thought that thought and and you you live with these guys, you get to know them pretty well. And so every night, I would walk the grounds 
uh, usually for around 45 minutes, and pray for them. Sometimes longer, sometimes not as long. But I didn't even need to have a written list. I knew every one of these guys. And in my mind, I knew each room that they lived in. And in my mind, I would just go through, we're starting on this end of the building, I'm going to pray for these two guys. I'm going to pray for this guy, I'm going to pray for his roommate, then I'm going to go to the next room. And I would pray everything I knew. And sometimes, you know, not, not all 20 of them would have desperate problems, so some prayers went pretty quickly. But I know this guy's having trouble, he's got bad news from his wife. I know this guy, his kids are mad at him. And I'd pray everything that I knew before I said amen and wrapped it up. But there were many, many times, most nights as a matter of fact, when I would pray everything I knew, but I knew I wasn't done praying. I prayed everything I knew in the understanding, but I knew there was more praying to be done. And in, this, in those cases, in those times, again, most nights, the only thing I could do was just continue to pray in the Spirit. Well, let the Holy Spirit pray through me. I'm still praying for them, but I know I'm praying exactly what God knows that they need prayed for. I can remember my mom telling a very powerful story about this, and I might get some of the details wrong, but she was praying for uh, her brother, who was a mess, and uh, for a number of reasons. But she felt, that, or she felt impressed to pray for him, and so she knew of, some, of two or three specific areas of his life that really needed urgent prayer, so she prayed. And then uh, she said, I didn't feel release. Oh, well, it must be this. So she prayed for this. And there were, again, two or three different areas where, well, God's still urging me to pray, so it must be this other area. Until she didn't know anything else, so she just began to pray in tongues, prayed in the Spirit until she got the release. Then hears from her brother, who had this weird freak accident at work. He was cleaning some uh, room in some building. I think he was on the stairs. He stumbled, and when he went to catch himself, put his arm through this window and just slashed his arm open and it, it the, i think the doctor said it was a miracle that he got uh, that he survived the trip to the to the emergency room without bleeding out and this was happening at the time mom was praying in the spirit did i get most of that right this is how god will use our prayer language now sometimes in fact often i think we know what we are praying about even if we don't understand every word we are praying. Again, the words are important. There is a difference between simple faith and the word of faith. It's important that our prayers are faith-filled. Now, as I mentioned, and you can stand with me, praise and worship team, why don't you come on up? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.